Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. The best thing that you could do for yourself is either partner give it someone or get on a deal, either as an LP or a GP doesn't matter, but get involved on a deal. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm your host, Ash Patel. Today's episode is brought to you by Presario Ventures, a private equity real estate firm based in the booming Austin, Texas market. To learn how you can invest in the future of Texas with Presario Ventures, please visit info.presarioventures.com forward slash best ever or click on the show notes below. Today's guest, Karanthi Panam. He's joining us from San Diego, California. Karanthi is a tech entrepreneur and a real estate syndicator. He focuses heavily on capital raising. Karanthi, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? Good. Thank you, Ash, and thanks for having me on the show. I'm doing real good. I hope the same thing with you. I am. Thank you. Let's dive into how you became a capital raiser. Sure. A little background about myself. I started my career after my master's working in the technology space, basically implementing software systems for big corporations. Prime predominantly worked in SAP which is a ERP system that most big corporations use. Went on to create my own services business that supported clients. And after a few iterations of building companies and then selling them, I figured I have to take my money that I'm making in my businesses to basically work for me when I actually focus on business. And that's how real estate obviously came into the picture. It was second nature for me for real estate because most of my family comes from a real estate background. I'm originally from India, so we did real estate um, businesses. Both my dad and my father-in-law, both sides come from real estate. So obviously that was a natural inclination, not the stock market, to actually go and invest in real estate. Started with office, bought retail. I know you do a lot with those two asset classes. And then morphed into investing into multifamily. It was actually an accident where a friend of mine said, do you want to invest in a deal? This is a syndication company that I usually work with. 
and got bought into a deal as a LP and figured out that this is an asset class that is pretty recession resistant. Most of my stuff that I had in my portfolio was mostly retail and office, which is great. It's really good cash flow, but you have to keep in mind that you know, I also wanted to build a little more on the equity side because I was having cash flow coming in from the office and retail sector. And as I learned a lot more, multifamily was the area to be. I started investing with my current partners, started investing with them as an LP. And then over the next few deals, got to know them very well. And over the next few deals, one of the deals, they came up to me and said, we need a KP or basically a person with higher net worth than all of us for a bigger deal. Would you like to come in? And then I said, I'm going to jump right in. And it basically helped me learn the business a lot more over that duration of time from an underwriting standpoint. And I had already bought a few multifamily properties by then. And as times evolved, all our roles started evolving and I started working with them on every deal. And at one point it was like, it doesn't make sense for you not to be part of the business. So I came on as one of the three partners in Four Oaks Capital, that is a firm. And one, my role predominantly is on the capital stack, taking care of both equity and on the debt side of things. So that's how I came into this role as a capital raiser for Four Oaks Capital. Kranti, just to clear up, KP is a key partner. They needed you to be one of the signers on the loan. Is that correct? Correct. And over time, I would imagine you just continue to add a lot of value to them that they saw a good fit as you as a partner. What were some of those things that you did to add value? Great question. And I think that's where this whole partnership concept does come very well. And I've always had businesses, ran businesses, had partnerships. And I think the most important thing in any partnership is you actually bring a lot of value. And that's where, when I first started investing as an LP, there was no incentive for me to start bringing more people in, referring and telling them more about Four Oaks Capital and all that. So through my role as LP, I did a lot of work in helping other people invest in deals because I've seen 401ks, I've seen IRAs and all that. And I've seen how employees work for, let's say, 30 years, save all their money. And then at the end of their basically work of 30 years, I don't think the 401k really lasts them for the next 30 years. If someone wants to retire at 60, I don't see that nest egg, which basically is at 5 6% do anything. So my inspiration basically came from the fact that I wanted to help other people, mostly friends, family, employees that had a lot of their money in the stock to diversify. And that's where I brought a lot of investors to Four Oaks. And as part of that, we started recognizing that areas that I could work in deals, even if I was not a partner. So that's how the whole relationship came. I never got paid. I didn't ask to get paid. It was more so, hey, these guys are good guys. I want you guys to know and work with them. And that's how I became a partner. And what were those specific things that you did to add value to those two partners? And specific, I'm going to give you an example where even if my role was not part of the Four Oaks team, a lot of my experience working with businesses and both my partners were really good with identifying assets, really good with managing. I helped them build the systems internally 
that would help marketing, that would help a lead gen, that would basically bring new investors on and help also with investor onboarding process, even before becoming a partner, really making it seamless, integrating all of that into one particular application and really implementing the process flows and automating some of these practices related to onboarding and related to capital raising, which basically helped the company tremendously to grow from a smaller shop into someone that can handle a couple thousand units today with over quarter billion dollars of assets that are under management. I figured you were going there. So you added systems and processes. Being a tech guy, you added automation. I'm also assuming you've done a lot of that automation and systemizing towards capital raising as well. Correct. Can you share some um, of that? What have you done to bring your entrepreneurial tech background into real estate capital raising? Sure. This is a classic that I've learned over the years related to capital raising. We're going to depend on a few investors that I refer to, friends, family, just my network. We're always going to fail. This needs to be a consistent process where we actually add automation, content creation, and we're consistently in front of our current investors too in terms of either weekly updates from our properties or newsletters and things like that. So to do that, we needed a good system that basically manages, for lack of a better word, a good CRM system, having the background of Salesforce and coming in with system integration related to ERPs and CRM. My job first was to really look at simplifying our tech stack, which had Excel spreadsheets, and we use AppFolio, some of the functions within AppFolio, some of the functions within ActiveCampaign. So basically create a tech stack that is simplistic to basically simplify our processes. And you can implement multiple systems. It doesn't matter. You run your business however you want, but you really need to have a consistent flow of information coming out from your organization so that people can be engaged. And one of the things that I learned is to keep capital raising going on, we needed to be engaged. And for us to be engaged, we needed content that was relevant for investors. And there's like a billion companies out there today in the syndication world that are trying to raise capital, they're trying to do deals. We really needed to differentiate ourselves from the fact that this content that we push out is just not the same thing that everyone else is giving out, but it actually is adding value to what our investors are looking. Most of our investor base is technology people who have regular W-2 jobs, but are very focused from a tech standpoint, who don't understand real estate terminology. So if I'm going to push content that's basically going to talk about NOIs or cap rates, most of them would not be interested in it. What is in it for me is very, very important for everyone who gets a communication for us. So actually building that content and making that as much automated as possible. And we're still on that journey right now. We're still going through the process of always seeing how many investor calls we've had per week. How many new investors are they tagging them either as friends, family, or employees? Or what I really want to see is our network really growing out just from this particular segment. Because I think the number one sure way of failing a capital raise, we're actually always in the capital raise mode, is just to depend on 
friends, family, and your network. You want to be able to be in a situation that expands that. And that comes from marketing and lead gen and all of that. Do you find a lot of people pushing back when you share that? Meaning a lot of people probably believe that it's Mm -hmm. their relationship that's causing capital to come in. A big portion of capital does come in from relationship. And what most successful companies that we've noticed over the years and studying what other bigger syndicators have been doing is really building a whole list that is not that network. And that's what I mentioned earlier. There is going to be pushback from the newer investors rather than you're my friend and you want to invest. It's an easy sell to you rather than to someone who does not know me or does not understand how successful I've been or does not trust me, right? Yeah, so Karanthi, what it, do you... There's always a pushback. Sorry, what do you say to somebody that pushes back and says, no, it's all about relationships. My investors trust me. They rely on me. What's your answer to that? There's only a limited pot of money on the reliability, trust, and relationship. And I 100% respect that. That is true for you to raise a limited amount of capital for one deal, two deals, How many times are you going to go back to the same investor to raise money? Two times, three times, four times. And most people that invest as LPs in deals always try to diversify. They're looking for, hey, I want to do a deal in retail. I want to do a deal in multifamily. I want to put some money in stocks, that sort of stuff. So you cannot go always to the same person. Typically, after two or three deals, they're not going to be able to invest because obviously these people have other options. Yeah, that's a great answer. Thank you for that. How often do you communicate with your potential investor pool? Our vision to do is to basically communicate, at least be in front of them every week at a minimum. And that could be through multiple avenues that really add value. But for me, the bigger thing is, are we really giving them content that's relevant? What is their click rates? Are they opening anything? How long are they reading stuff? We send out a video. How long is the playtime? Really going into that level of data and analysis to understand, is it effective to send communications out or get on calls or really do webinars monthly, weekly, bi-weekly, semi-monthly, really coming down to that sweet spot of really getting that attention is going to be important. There's a lot of competition in the market. So you want to be the most optimal in terms of your performance. I love that. How else do you communicate other than newsletters? We have obviously our investor newsletter that goes out. Investor management relationship does a really good job of actually reaching out. There's multiple avenues for us to talk to people. It could be as small as a birthday or basically really getting on an investor call to actually proactively reach out to people. There's an instance that everyone probably reached out to their investor base, a $250 million Houston fiasco that happened a couple months ago. Really getting on, being proactive and talking to our investors about it because a ton of our investors are from the Texas market too and most of them heard about it that it was a syndicated transaction. So really using every opportunity to alleviate fear or help them understand what we're doing in this market with high interest rates where occupancies are falling, rents are falling, evictions are moving slow, and how we explain that situation. I love your approach to that, giving your audience 
valuable education on what they want to see and hear. Where does that content come from? It comes from uh, multiple sources. It starts basically with the economic conditions in today's market. It also goes down to our portfolio performance and then the individual asset performance and goes down to what each individual's goals are in terms of some people are saying for retirement. Some of these investors are not the right investors for us. Really understanding within our CRM and using technology or tags and understanding for this particular investor base, they're looking for actually distributions to go out monthly. Some of our deals are value add and we don't give out distributions as much. Most of the money is made at the back end of it where they don't care about monthly income and really understanding each individual's aspirations and tailoring stuff to their liking is what we're learning to do. Do you use any AI in content creation? We've used AI not now, but from two, three years. ChatGPT has come out now, but they've been AI content creators for two, three years. So it's not something new for us in that space, but I'm not a big fan of using AI content because most people really don't value that when you send it out. You want to send AI content. If you analyze the amount of feedback that you get back from that particular marketing campaign or from that particular campaign that you used AI content to the one that you actually created and put the effort in, not just talking about emails, but if you create a webinar that you actually drew all your information from just AI and not had data and numbers and metrics, you're never going to get that kind of engagement. And emotion, right? Yeah. 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 Thank you for that perspective because I cringe when you see these videos where people will, in minutes, generate a week's worth of content through AI. It goes out on all the social media platforms. And I'm thinking this can't be effective other than repetitively seeing your name out there. How does this add any value? Your personality is not coming through. Your emotions not coming through. So I applaud you for taking control of your content and not just outsourcing all of it. Yeah, it's going to be important. I'm going to play the other side too to that. You have to use technology. There's no way out of it. But you really need to know how much of it needs to be used. You just can't, like you said, do it. There needs to be an authentic self somewhere within that content that people can connect with. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor struggling to streamline your property management? Are you tired of juggling multiple systems to effectively manage your portfolio? Meet Rentec Direct, your ultimate solution for automating management tasks, reducing errors, and most importantly, saving you time. Rentec Direct offers an all-in-one platform for accounting, marketing, tenant screening, rent collection, and much more. And the best part? You're never alone. With US-based live support and award-winning customer service, Rentec Direct is the partner you need to streamline your property management so you can focus on what's most important, growing your business and getting more deals done. If you're an investor looking to grow your portfolio, join the more than 15,000 investors and landlords who manage real estate assets totaling more than $200 billion using Rentec Direct. Just go to rentecdirect.com forward slash best ever and sign up for a free trial. 
Plans start at just $45 a month, and you'll receive 20% off your first year just for being a best ever listener. That's R-E-N-T-E-C, direct.com forward slash best ever for 20% off. Karate, I know you have become a master at capital raising and using technology. Right now, we're in a very competitive landscape for multifamily acquisitions. Are you also doing things to get involved in helping your partners with finding deals or managing deals that you have now? Yeah, absolutely. I personally look through the asset management portion for a portion of the portfolio because that's how we split responsibilities too. And it has been one of the most challenging times in terms of multifamily, specifically value-add multifamily. Again, there's challenges all across the board, even from a construction standpoint, but intricately involved in projects where we've built a three to five year plan and we're doing good on the plan. The plan's fine. We're getting the rent bumps that we should have gotten in year three and now being year one, we're good there. What's really killing us is the insurance rates. We're starting to see that we're having to cut the rental increases that we've done to increase occupancy. In the markets that we're in, especially the Atlanta market, we're starting to see there's negative rent growths coming in in the last couple of quarters. And we're having to do that too. Specials and move-ins, which last couple of years, it's unheard of. We're actually seeing that happen right now. And those are the areas that I specifically contribute in terms of managing the assets. With your interest rates, were they locked or are you on floating rates with caps? We're very conservative, and I think most people use that word conservative. It's used all over the place. All our debt is fixed rate debt. Even on the bridge lenders we have, the loans are all fixed rate debts. We don't have any floating debt. We have a couple deals on floating rate debt with rate caps that'll go through next year, and we hope to refinance both those deals early next year or later this year. But no, we're in a very good spot from a debt standpoint, and I think that's the saving grace. I'm actually invested in a deal in Houston that the rate cap expired and to buy a new one, they just don't have the money. They can't refinance a property because it's not performing. So I'm actually part of one of the deals that is in very bad shape at this point. I'm going to push back a little bit. So the Atlanta market rents are decreasing now for multifamily. However, for retail and industrial they're increasing rapidly. Why not pivot into those asset classes? Most of my multifamily is in the Atlanta market. I have retail assets in the Tucson market, which are doing phenomenally well with the current situation. And I agree with you of the pivot. We're opportunistic operators in the sense that obviously our big portfolio piece is still in the multifamily area, but we're really looking now at an industrial construction deal in the Houston area. We're also looking at doing a small family entertainment center in the North Carolina area just to pivot from where we are today. So yes, that's already being thought about because one, it addresses the investors that I just said in terms of that need cash flow because this asset class provides that and also addresses the aspect of, I think, being heavy on one area is great, but I think a little bit of diversification would be helpful. Great. Question for you. You're 
big tech background, your mind works a little bit differently. What is one consistent thing that you see real estate people doing where you're like, man, I wish they would just implement some technology? One of the things that I've seen consistently, and this is what I've noticed, and this is specific to syndicated real estate, right? I'm not talking about the other portions. One of them that I see is most people that run syndicated real estate businesses don't come from a business background. Two or three guys who've been working, have a lot of passion for real estate, come together, put a deal together, do a great job. Most of those guys are successful, but don't really run it like a business. To me, when you start something like a company, it's like a living being. It breathes, eats, it acts. There's a culture and all that. Most of them don't actually treat it that way. When you start a business, for me, it's something holy. You have to treat it with the same respect that you would treat your kids. You give it the same amount of attention, time. And most people, when they do this part-time, really can't do it. So you're not doing justice to the game that you're actually playing, and you're not able to play it at a very high level. And one step down from there is because you don't do that, you're not even taking the time to create the systems. You create processes for sure because you need to to a certain level, but you never think about systems and you're never actually taking time to analyze those systems. That's why I have the podcast of Mind Your Data, which looks at analysis that business owners do on the information that they have. And most business owners don't do any analysis on the data they have. Yeah, that's interesting. I was thinking if somebody had a restaurant where every decision or lack of decision had immediate impacts, they would be working 24-7 on their business. But for whatever reason, these real estate businesses, because the reactions are slow and drawn out and in the future, they often don't treat them as a business, even though there's a lot more writing on it probably than a restaurant. So I love that analogy. Thank you. Kranti, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best real estate investing advice ever. For me personally, what I've learned is you could be on the sideline trying to figure things out. And that's what I've seen with most people is you could be on the sideline figuring things out forever, learning how to underwrite or learning a few things about asset management or learning capital raising. But the best thing that you could do for yourself is either partner with someone or get on a deal, either as an LP or a GP, doesn't matter, but get involved on a deal. Because once you start doing deals, and I've heard this somewhere and I'm using it, you'll see people in this space who can do one deal for a couple of years. Or learning ever, forever. For, or forever. But once you do that one deal, it sets off the spiral, this motion that puts you in and the momentum that gets you. I've not seen people who just do one deal. I've seen people who have not done any deals. I've seen people who have done hundreds of deals. And I think that's the most important thing is getting off and playing some role in a deal and actually building that momentum up. Take action. Great advice. Conti, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's do right. this. What's the best ever book you recently read? Best ever book that I've recently read, I think, is Atomic Habits. And this is one of the books that I just finished reading. And there's a lot of lessons that can be taken from the book. And I'd recommend every kid that's probably graduating school or high school or middle school should start reading the book. Karthi, what is the best ever way you like to give back? 
the best ever way to give back, and we've done this in our company where we have a lot of employees that are based in India. We have employees based here. So what we figured is people who actually come from areas that are not urban, that are not having a lot of exposure, they're not exposed to technology as much. There's areas within U.S. and areas within India that we actually started opening offices, which is the second tier, third tier cities, and actually taking talent from there and training them in technology. And then basically during this period of training, we're basically training them for free and then assisting them to get positions in technology. We're not really training them for them to become our employees because this is a project that we've personally put money into and created a scholarship fund to help people get into technology from when they're tier two, tier three cities because they don't get the exposure that typical Bay Area would give. And Karthi, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? The best way to reach out to me would be my website, kranthipanam.com, my LinkedIn account, Instagram, Facebook, all of those social media channels. And then also look us up on our real estate investment company called fouroakscapital.com, any of those avenues. And one more time, your podcast, is that real estate specific or it's just business specific? It is business specific. It is about how you basically look at and analyze your data. It's called Mind Your Data Podcast, mostly for business owners, entrepreneurs, people who either could run teams, whatever it is. I'd love to understand what are their metrics to help them get better. Karanthi, thank you for your time today. What an enlightening conversation, talking about merging tech into real estate, but still keeping that human element to keep it real. Thank you for all the lessons that you shared with us today. Thanks a lot, Ash. It was my pleasure. Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Share this episode with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.